Hey, good morning. Um, one, one other announcement uh, to make. Next week, uh, we will be welcoming Jason Carr uh, to New City. And Jason is, uh, I, I, we will celebrate Jason next week. Thank you. I'm glad that y'all are excited. We're excited too. Uh, Jason is going to be our um, worship director coming in full time. Um, but this morning, what I really want to celebrate is Chris Wood. And um, I, uh, Chris stepped in in a, in a time of, of great need. And um, I, I love Chris. I've known Chris for a long time. Being at New City, having Chris with us has been amazing. Um, but talking to Chris when this need came up, uh, just blown away. Um, what Chris said was, I love New City Church, and there's a need. Let me help. Uh, and I, I, we have a lot of people who are that way. Um, I wish we had more. Uh, so, Chris, I want to say thank you. Thank you for stepping into that role. Thank you for doing it at a difficult time as we were moving into this building and things have been in utter chaos, uh, trying to figure out so many things. Uh, you have been a blessing to New City, and uh, you are evidence of God's grace to us. So one more time, would you all tell Chris thank you? If you, if you get a chance to, uh, to say thank you to Chris after the service, please do. And he is going to be a part of transition, so he uh, is going to help us, has agreed to help us as Jason uh, comes on board with some of the transitions. So, um, so thankful, so thankful. Uh, this morning we come to the end of uh, this short letter, Titus, um, a letter from the Apostle Paul that is written to his friend, and co-worker uh, Titus. Now, this, this letter is only 46 verses long. Uh, it's a very short letter, um, but it is so full, so full of such rich things for us and for the church, full of instruction for the church. It's full of encouragement for the church, uh, and beautifully, beautifully beautifully. This entire letter, I, I hope that you guys who have been with us throughout this, this letter, I hope that you see how beautifully centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ this letter is. Um, it is absolutely amazing to me. As a quick reminder, um, Paul has written to Titus, and, and he's encouraging. Paul left Titus there uh, in Crete to finish some things that, that remain to be done in the church and to help the church uh, become established. This was a, a new church, and these were new believers, so he is in encouraging his friend Titus, giving direction for the church. Through Titus, um, he's urging the church in how they should live their life in light of the gospel, how they should live their life in light of the gospel. That, by the way, is New City's mission, helping others live in light of the gospel. That is what God has called 
all of us as followers of Christ to do, to help others live in light of the gospel. Those who don't know Jesus, to introduce them to Jesus by sharing the good news of the gospel. And for those of us who, who do know Jesus and, and believe the gospel, then to help one another continue to grow in the gospel and to live in light of the gospel. He's written, Paul has in this letter, about the church's life together, the church with one another as believers. Uh, he's written about life in the world, like for the church, how do we, how do we live with unbelievers in light of the gospel? Um, he has, ha- has called out false teachers in the church, um, the, those who are leading members uh, of the church uh, away from the gospel. He's called them out saying they profess to believe the gospel, but the truth is they don't really even know or understand the gospel. Some of them were leading members of the church away from Jesus by adding works to Jesus. So they were saying, yes, you need Jesus, and here is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but in order to truly be loved by God and be one of God's, you have to also add your good works. You have to keep the laws. You have to keep the feasts and the festivals and all things Jewish. There were others in the church who were leading people in the church away from Jesus by, by saying, yes, Jesus is great, but have you heard about this or have you heard about that? Um, Paul addresses a similar group in Timothy, and he talks about the endless myths and genealogies. They always had a story that was greater than even Jesus was. And so these false teachers were leading people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. In all of this, and all of the instruction from the letter, in the letter, um, Paul comes back again and again and again to the gospel. And so I want to start there this morning with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want us to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is central to the Christian life. We, we, we must conclude this from this letter. Paul starts his letter with a glimpse of the gospel. In verse 1, we read this. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. So Paul is, is, is working and writing, he says in this introduction, for the sake of the faith of believers. Uh, for their knowledge of the truth. This he connects with the hope of eternal life. Now, we've talked about this several times in our, in our series. We, we've, we've talked about what Paul means by faith. By faith, Paul means their deep and sure belief in Jesus Christ, particularly in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. And he adds to that that he is working to strengthen their knowledge of the truth, the truth. And the truth that Paul is talking about is, is, is not truth in general. It isn't even the truth of the Bible. Paul isn't arguing for the truth of the Bible. Those are, those are good truths. Those are great things. But what Paul has in mind is the truth that leads to the hope of eternal life with him. 
That is the truth of the gospel. Paul wants the church to, to grow in their knowledge of the gospel. Paul wants them to, to grow in their, their, their deep personal knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. Now, Paul follows that with teaching on elders, right? If we're just walking through the, the letter, Paul introduces the letter with this focus on the gospel. And then flowing out of that, Paul begins to give instructions to the church, instructions on, on elders, instructions on confronting false teachers, um, life together for the church, how we live together, older men teaching younger men, older women teaching younger women, all of that. And then in chapter 2, verse 11, we read this, do all of these things, all of these things that I'm telling you to do, all of these instructions for the church, he says, do these things, verse 11, because the grace of God has appeared. That is beautiful. What we do as a church is not simply a, a, a list of rules and things that, that, that we do or we don't do. What, what we do as a church, as we love one another, as we shepherd one another, and all the instructions that, that Paul has given, it all flows out of this big reason. Because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and, and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. These verses then are followed with more instruction from the Apostle Paul, um, more instructions for, for the church, particularly on how they are to live with those outside of the church. How do we live in a broken and fallen world? Paul tells the church how to do that, and I, I think that we could summarize it from what Paul says, how we live with our unbelieving neighbors is to say that we live with them as the Father lived with us before we were believers. How do we live with a broken and fallen world? Remember, that was you at one time, broken and fallen and far from God. Live with them as the Father lived with you. We were once like our neighbors. We were far from God. We were spiritually blind. We were ignorant of who God is and what God has done for us. We too were pursuing all of the wrong things and in those pursuits never being satisfied, never finding enough because only God can satisfy the longing of our heart. Verse 4 says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
These verses beautifully, once again, point us to the good news of Jesus. Just like chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. When the grace of God appeared, chapter 2 says. Here, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He's talking about Jesus. Everything changed when, when Jesus came. When the goodness and loving kindness of, of God, our Savior, appeared. Grace came. Grace came and took on the flesh of humanity. The goodness and loving kindness of God came to us in Jesus, pursued us in Jesus, and he saved us. Chapter 2, verse 14 says that that, that he redeemed us from from lawlessness. He redeemed us from sin. That means he, he purchased us from lawlessness. The price was paid, and he redeemed us from lawlessness and from sin. Chapter 3, verse 7 says that he justified us. That means that, that he gave us right and righteous standing before God. And verse 5 reminds us that he did this not because of our, our works or our goodness, but according to his mercy. He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. He sent the Holy Spirit to us who, who opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel, to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus. He softened our hearts so that we would receive that truth when we heard it and, and, and believe that good news. All of this, Paul says, is a gift of grace to us. All of this is God's pursuit of us. Now you heard it earlier. At New City, we typically summarize the gospel as the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus came, Paul says. Grace, grace appeared. And Jesus lived the life that we have all failed to live, the life that we cannot live perfect and holy and righteous. He did that for us. Listen, today, if you're here as an unbeliever, I'm really glad that you're here. But you know this to be true. As good as you might want to be, you know that you can't be good enough. None of us can, and we exhaust ourselves trying. I was one of them. Jesus lived the life that we cannot live. Perfect, holy, righteous, and pure. Jesus died the death that we deserve because of our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He bore the very wrath of God. All of God's anger towards sin was poured out on Jesus on that cross. Jesus died the death that should have been mine and should be yours because of our sin. They buried Jesus, but on the third day, Jesus rose because death could not defeat him. On the third day, he was raised from death, defeating death and sin and Satan. Even now, even now, Satan, Satan, Satan is real. Satan rules on a very short leash. Jesus has already defeated him. 
And, and, and when we believe, when we believe who Jesus is and what he has done, when we believe the good news of the gospel, that he has done this that we cannot do, and that it is ours by faith, only by trusting in, in his work, when we believe that good news, then the righteousness of Jesus is credited to our account as if we ourselves are righteous. And so when God the Father looks at us, when God looks at us, he sees the holiness of Jesus. And he welcomes us in Christ as sons and daughters. Not, as Paul said, not because of the good works that you have done in your life, but by his grace and mercy. This is the good news of the gospel. And this this. This is the faith that Paul is talking about in, in chapter 1, verse 1. This gospel is the truth that he is talking about. This, this truth, this good news, Paul wants the body of believers in Crete and every church after. Paul wants, God wants us to grow in our deep understanding and, and knowledge of that gospel. He wants us to grow in trusting the truth of that good news more than we trust ourselves. Paul wants them to believe firmly. And here's the thing, and we see it over and over again in this letter. It, it, it is this gospel that informs the church on what it looks like to be the church together. It's the gospel that tells us what it, what it looks like for us to live as, as Christians. It's the same, this same gospel that helps us understand not just how we live together as brothers and sisters in Christ, but it's this same gospel that tells us how to live with that broken and fallen world. Remember, Paul says, you were once one of them. You didn't know Jesus. You didn't believe in the gospel. Remember who you were before Jesus. Remember how the Father was loving and kind and patient with you. Live with others the way that he has lived with you. And honestly, the way that he still lives with us, right? Even as believers. Think about this. If, if, we, if we include, I just, like in these, this short letter from Paul, there are three huge, powerful places where the gospel is inserted. If we finished those sentences from Paul that are, are specifically related to the gospel in those three places, more than 25% of this letter from Paul would be the gospel. Isn't that phenomenal? A fourth of his letter is just Paul proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Man, that is amazing. He starts with it. We find it dead center in the letter. And here at the end, he wraps up with it. So I titled this message this morning, Conclusions, plural. Because while I want us to see Paul's conclusion to the letter, I also want us to leave this letter and draw some other very important conclusions. And the first one that we, 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 we must see this morning, seeing the picture that Paul paints for us, we must conclude 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is central to the Christian life. It saves us, it redeems us, forgives us, justifies us, sanctifies us, calls us to a life of good works. It informs how we live together with other believers. It informs how we live in a world of unbelievers. We've said this for the last couple of weeks, but with, with, with election season coming up, I want you to hear me. The gospel informs how we go about this election season. At New City, we don't believe the gospel simply for our salvation, and then we leave it for a work harder, do better. We believe it is the gospel that changes everything. And we believe that, that the gospel, knowing it and, and believing it until the day that we stand before Jesus face to face and, and we see him in, in all of his glory, this gospel shapes us. This gospel is for all of life. There's not an area of our lives that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't touch. Paul moves then in our final verses to give Titus his final instructions. Chapter 3, verse 12. Paul's final instructions. When I send Artemis or Tychicus, I'm going to go with that one, okay? Do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. These verses are Paul's conclusion, and they will lead us to another conclusion. Paul is going to send a replacement for Titus. That's what he's saying. He's telling Titus, I'm going to send a replacement. Not sure yet who it is. It might be Artemis. might be Tychicus. Whatever. But when they are there and settled, Paul is asking his friend Titus to join him um, at Nicopolis. We don't know for sure who Paul would send uh, to replace Titus, but Tychicus was sent to Ephesus to relieve Timothy, so we might assume that it was Artemis. And we know that Tychicus traveled with Paul. He served with Paul. They were, they, were, they were teammates, if you will, in the gospel. And we can only assume that Artemis traveled with them as well. And Paul discipled these younger guys in the gospel and in church planting. And leading churches. In verse 13, Paul tells Titus to, to do his best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. Zenos and Apollos were, again, fellow co-workers with Paul. And Paul trusted them deeply, passing through Crete. That's what they would be doing on another mission that Paul had sent them on. They would pass through Crete. And when they did, they would deliver, deliver this, this letter. The letter of, uh, th th that we call the book of Titus. These guys, going on their way, would pass through Crete, and they would bring this letter. And, and, and Paul says, when they get there and give you the letter, speed them along. Right? Don't let them hang out with you. 
Send them on their, on their way. They have something important to, to do. Make sure when they go that they lack nothing. This, Paul says, is a practical way for the people of Crete to show their devotion to good works. This, too, is an overflow of the gospel. Right? As, as God has done good things for us, we do good things for others. It is an overflow of the gospel. Good, good works, Paul says, that they have been called to by God himself. Good works that, that flow out of their identity as God's people. Chapter 2, verse 14. Paul, Paul sees this as a practical teaching opportunity. Like throughout this letter, he, he has said, good works and obedience flow from what we believe. Here is a great place for you to put that to practice. Send them on their way and make sure that the church family gives them everything that they need as they go. Paul sees it as, as an opportunity to teach generosity. Generosity. As Jesus has given us so much and promises to continue to give us much, as Jesus has been generous to us, we should be generous to one another. That, too, is an overflow of the gospel. And when we are not generous people, when we are not generous people, what it means is there's something in the gospel that we don't believe. There's something in the gospel that we don't see. We don't understand how generous the Father has been to us in giving us the Son. We don't understand and believe the promises that the Father makes, that he will provide for everything that we need. And to the Corinthians, Paul said, listen, he will give you even more than you need so that you can graciously give to others. We hold on because we don't believe the promises of God. What Paul is saying is here's an opportunity to, to, to put to practice their faith in the gospel. Tell them to be generous. Tell them to send them on their way with everything that they need and more. This, Paul says, is fruitfulness. And with that, Paul concludes, All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. All who are with me say hello to you. Greet those in Crete who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. I love that. Grace be with y'all. I said in the beginning of this series that though this is a letter addressed to Titus, and it would be delivered to Titus, really what we see is that this was a letter for the church. We see it in these closing verses in a couple of different places. Titus would soon be leaving, right? We just talked about that. Titus would soon be leaving. It would be his replacement that would carry out all of the instructions that are here. When the replacement came, he would be the one carrying out these instructions. It was important for the church to know what was happening, right? It was important for the church to know who Paul was sending, on what authority they came, and to follow their leadership. In addition, we see here that this farewell is not grace to you, Titus, but it's grace to you all. It's grace to the family. Grace from us, grace from God, grace be with you all, plural. 
the church would have gathered together when Titus received this letter, and it would have been read aloud to all of them. And I've told you guys, I have, like, pretty active imagination. And so when I read things like this in the Bible and I think back to what it was like for them in that day, like letters were not a regular thing. Um, they didn't have mailboxes and a postman who delivered stuff to them regularly. Um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that way. So when a letter came, it was a really big deal that they received a letter. And so I imagine, right, and, and I encourage you to imagine it now, just, just, just for the moment. The church was, was on the island of Crete, and the, the, the church was, was one church, like we see that over and over again. It's one church, but it was spread out over the entire island of Crete. And on the island of Crete, there were villages, there were towns, and there were, there were cities. And so the church gathered. They, they didn't have a building, like we have a large building. Churches in our country have buildings, right? They, they didn't have a, a central location for everyone to gather. And so what the church did was the church, singular, met in homes scattered out all over the island. In, in cities, maybe the church met in several different homes. In small towns where maybe there were only a handful of believers, they met in one home. That, that's the way that they met. So he, here's what I imagine. I imagine that word began to spread as Zenos and Apollos arrived, that, that the letter had come. Paul had actually sent a letter to them, to their church. Huge deal. And so I imagine them, someone going from, from town to town, city to city, village to village, saying, hey, we have visitors Apollos has come, he's brought a letter with him. Zenos is with him, and they have a letter from the Apostle Paul. And the churches began to gather in, in homes all over the island, waiting. Waiting for Titus to come to them with, with this letter. Excited as they gathered together, and, and Titus unfolds this letter from the Apostle Paul. I, I, I just imagine when he gets there, they are filled with excitement, anxious, anxious to hear what would Paul say to them. All of that leads me to this. The Christian life is meant to be lived with others. The Christian life is meant to be lived with others. We, we, we see it there. We see it as the church gathered. We see it on the island. But, but here's the thing. We see it throughout the Bible. Our Western mindset is, 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 is one of rugged individualism. And, and, and it is going home and shutting the garage door. It is, it is privacy-fenced backyards where we don't see other people. That, that's our world. It's keeping people at a distance. Listen to me. That is foreign to the Bible. I am not saying that is foreign to the culture that, that Paul was writing to. I am telling you it is foreign to the Bible. It is not the way we were made to live. 
It is foreign to, to all of the Bible. From the start of the Bible in Genesis to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, God's people are seen as an interdependent family. Adam was not complete without Eve. That's why Eve was created. Eve would not have been complete without Adam. The two of them needed one another. Adam and Eve were God's people, and he was their God. They were also dependent on God. Created in his image. God, God, our triune God who lives in in perfect harmony, in perfect community. One God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the, the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Perfect union and community together. We were created in that image. Not that we have perfect community within ourselves, but together. That's what we were created for, was, was that union with one another. The, the New Testament teaching on the church is filled with references to this. Believers are called brothers and sisters. We are, we are family. We talk about this identity all the time at New City. We are, we are family. Listen to me, not church family. We are forever family. Forever family in Christ. God is our Father. We are, we are the, the New Testament calls us the family of God. The New Testament calls us the household of God. The New Testament calls us the people of God. We are the people of God. One people. The picture of the local church in places like 1 Corinthians 12 is that God places the members in the body, each one as he desires, and he does that for the good of the body. And God gives us as believers, the church as well, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit equips us as believers for the edification of the body, and we call, we call these spiritual gifts Really, the real gift is the Holy Spirit, and he manifests himself through us and in us in different ways. And what he is doing in that is just what we see with Adam and Eve. None of us is complete without the others around us. And God has given, has given spiritual gifts to the members of the body so that the body works together in unity and in union as one, as one family. We're not meant to be alone. That's not the way that God created us. Each of us gifted by the Holy Spirit. Each of us gifted the Holy Spirit. And our gift is meant to be used in the context of the family. With each member in the family serving one another and building one another up in Christ. I said early on in Titus, this is a family, a family letter. And so often we read the instructions in the book of Titus or, or somewhere else in the New Testament as, as a, a list of things that apply directly to me. What does this mean to me? And listen to me, there are a lot of great applications that we can make from what we read in Titus and other places that do specifically relate to you. And, and, and that is the beautiful thing of Scripture, but it isn't all about you. To be honest with you, most of the time it's about us. 
and we just make it about me. It's about us, the family. Paul writes that the the, the goal that he has is the faith and knowledge of the truth of the gospel for God's elect, for God's people. Not for you, for us, for us together. Here he is, he is writing to the local church, to the family of the church. When we, when we went through this letter together, we saw that there were problems that Paul was addressing going on there in Crete. Titus was to appoint elders, elders plural. And these elders plural were to be men from the church, from the church, men within the church, who would be raised up and appointed to be elders in the church. And their job was to guard the church and to shepherd the church. They were to give their lives for the people of the church. Are you with me? It was about the family. Men who would lead the family and teach the family and care for the family and protect the family. They were men who were a part of the family. We we saw in this letter that, that Paul was concerned about these false teachers who were leading who were leading whole families, he said, away from the gospel. And when we talked about that, I told you he wasn't talking about nuclear family, mom and dad and, and their two point five kids. What he was talking about was was house churches. Entire house churches were being led away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The elders were to protect those family. In chapter 2, we saw, right, like not only are elders supposed to do this, y'all stick with me a little bit longer. Not only were elders supposed to do this, right, these, these men, because a lot of times we say, well, I'm not an elder, so this doesn't apply to me. Listen to me. In chapter 2, Paul says, hey, in the church, you should all live a life where you're an example for one another. So that other people around you can see what it looks like to live the gospel out. What it looks like to live in light of the gospel. Live this out among yourselves. Paul says, older, older men, you should be teaching the younger men. Older women, you should be teaching the younger women. Teaching them in the gospel, but not just the gospel. Not, not just the gospel itself, but, but what does it look like to live life in light of the gospel? How, how younger women, are you to love your husband and your children? Those are the things that Paul was talking about. And listen, he, he's not talking about having a Sunday school class on Sunday morning. He's not talking about having a class at the church building at all. What he's talking about is doing life together. Where, where we really are a family. And we, and we really do spend time together. And we, we really do love one another. And we don't live life at, at, at arm's length. And we see the faults. We see the failures, and we speak the beauty of the gospel into every one of them. Not as elders, as family. 
We see it even in Paul's conclusion. Paul had a relationship with Titus and Zenos, Apollos, Artemis, Tychicus. And those guys all had a relationship with the church. I've read this, I don't know how many times before, and never really thought about how familiar this all seems in the letter. Like there's, there's, not a, there's not a long explanation of who these guys are or what their bio is. Paul just names them as if the church knows them. I believe the church probably did. There was a familiarity with one another. Such a stark contrast to the way most of us live. Alone, distant, our lives hidden from one another. Everyone at arm's length. And we wonder why the Christian life is a struggle. It is together that we are meant to grow in Christ. Together is where we receive encouragement in the gospel. It's where we receive help and admonishment. It's, it's where we find direction when we wander. It's how we keep Jesus as the center of our lives. How can we read this letter and not conclude the Christian life is meant to be lived with others? Amen? So let me wrap this series up. Unbeliever, if you are here, if you are here today and not a follower of Jesus, and this is the life that you were created for. It really is. The longings of your heart, They're found in Jesus. That's where we find satisfaction. That's where we find rest from our labors in Jesus. This is the life you were created for, a life of grace, a life of freedom from sin, life with Jesus, and hear me, life with a family. I know, I know the church in general has not always felt like family. Or maybe, maybe it has felt too much like your dysfunctional family. I know that sometimes the church has been, has been hurtful. And I, I want you to hear me, I am sorry for that. That is not what God intends for for this family. I am hopeful if you are here today as an unbeliever, you will hear the beauty of the gospel and God's intent and give Jesus a chance. Today, today, trust in him. And I hope as well that you will give his family a chance. 
I, I don't say those things because New City is <laughs> all of that. We're not and I'm not. But I will say this, we want to be. Amen, New City? We want to be. Believer, we had two big conclusions today. Let me say this, too often we hear things and we leave and say that was really good and we do nothing with it. Don't do that. We had two big conclusions today. The gospel of Jesus Christ is central to the Christian life and the Christian life is meant to be lived with others. Is the gospel really central to your life? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ really the central theme of your life? Are you growing in your knowledge and faith? Deep, intimate, personal knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Are you growing to understand all of the implications of the gospel and how far-reaching those implications are, touching every area of your life? Are you growing to trust him more? And more. That's what faith is. Trusting. Would a look at your schedule and the things that you do week to week show that yours is a life spent with others? His family. I don't mean are you somewhat regular in your attendance. I mean are you engaged are you engaged in the family that Jesus has given you? Like, like do, you, do, you, do you believe? Do you believe that the Christian life is meant to be lived with others? Do you believe what we see in the Scripture, that this is, this is how we grow? Do you believe that this is the way that, that, that God has, has made it for you to grow? And, and if you say, yes, I believe that, does your, does your life show it? Are you engaged? Are you learning? Are you teaching? Older men, are you teaching younger men? And some of you guys who consider yourself to be younger men, you are older men to somebody. I heard a couple of ladies laugh, and it's the same for you. Everybody wants an older woman or an older man who will mentor them and give them wisdom, but nobody wants to be an older man or an older woman. Learning and teaching and encouraging, admonishing where that is necessary. Helping one another to live in the gospel and bear the beautiful fruit of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, you have given us a family, and for that, we are grateful. What a beautiful gift that it is. It's a, it's a, a truly gracious gift to us. Father, forgive us. Forgive us that we forget
forgive us that our, our lives really are, 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 are often filled with things that don't matter. Lord, I know that we are busy and our world is very different from the world that Paul lived in. So Holy Spirit, I pray for us that you would help us to see how we can, how we can live the craziness of our world and live it together. It is a big ask. We need you. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the mercy that pursued us and continues to pursue us. Thank you that it, 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 it wasn't by our works. And even now as we forget the importance of our family, as we, as we forget the centrality of the gospel, your love never wanes. And you are always with us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.